here with PD. Say what up. What's up? Alright, today is episode 6, I believe. Maybe 5, I've lost track. But we're going to be previewing, or yeah, we're going to be reviewing some of the previous week's games as well as some of the most exciting quarterback matchups of next week. And why don't you get started with the 6.30 a.m. game from last week in London? Yeah, starting off with the London game, uh, with Aaron Rodgers' game. Aaron Rodgers in this game, uh, 57.1 perfect pass rate in my optical tracking. Uh, No turnover-worthy plays, one sack that he was responsible for. But the thing that I really want to focus on with this Packers offense is the total and complete lack of explosive plays. Um, there was one explosive play in the first quarter where he threw a tight window throw across the middle uh, after moving a little bit to his right uh, in the first quarter. But outside of that, uh, the offense is just not generating explosive plays. And I kind of I understand that the offense can look quite harmonic and beautiful at times where they're kind of just, you know, having the linebackers on a string. And there was even a whole drive where there was no pass from the Packers that was that traveled beyond five yards. And they scored basically using all runs, quick passes, and RPOs. But I think that okay. we're kind of seeing through these first few weeks that stretching the field is a necessity for an NFL offense in the modern era. And so the the offense just kind of slowed down in the second half. And this this kind of issue is compounded by the fact that Rodgers doesn't really trust his receivers yet um, to make catches even when they're open. And so he's kind of leaving plays on the table even when they're there to be had. So that that kind of uh, downfield passing game is just non-existent for the Packers right now. And I really hope that they can get some chemistry uh, going moving forward. Otherwise, the Packers could be in for kind of a long season as teams kind of play closer to the line of scrimmage to affect what they're doing. Yeah, I agree with that a lot. I feel like a lot of the NFL fan base as a whole noticed that with Adams gone that this will be a problem. I feel like everyone other than the Packers organization did because I felt like they didn't do enough to address this issue because it was kind of a problem for years now where Rodgers and Adams would kind of just bail out the Packers offense when they were in trouble with those big splash plays. And you really weren't seeing Rodgers go to anyone else with it since even like Jordy Nelson retired. It was just Rodgers and Adams. And without another big play guy, it really limits this offense. And moving on from one veteran quarterback on his probably on his last legs to another in Tom Brady, who had statistically a very monster day uh, against a bad Falcons defense, putting up 351 yards on 35 for 52 passing and a touchdown with no picks. And watching the game, the film completely backs up this incredible performance. I think on the first drive, he did a great job of just taking what the defense gives him. And you'll see a big theme of that where this Falcons defense, for whatever reason, kind of just sat back the entire game and let Brady do what he wanted with them. He kind of just stood in the pocket and seemed like he had infinite time and he just picked the Falcons off and or Falcons defense apart one pass with by another uh, like all five 10 yard passes no big splash plays that you'll see out of some of the other young exciting quarterbacks that we'll talk about later in this episode but just a lot of chunk yardage plays that he just consistently kept doing there are a couple of 
splash plays in this game that I did take notice of. However, he did have on that first drive an amazing completion to Godwin in between a safety and a corner where he just found him on a touch pass right in between their two zones. And another one later in the game where I believe it was Mike Evans had maybe like a yard of separation on AJ Terrell with the safety over the top coming in as well. And Rogers or Brady just delivers it right on the money to him in stride. And Evans almost scores a touchdown. But overall with this game, just all I noticed was that this was a very vintage Brady performance. It was just, he was dropping back, taking what the defense was giving him, a lot of checkdowns, a lot of short passes, but was consistently working because the Falcons were, for whatever reason, so afraid of getting torched over the top by Evans and Godwin that they were just allowing small 10-yard passes almost every play. And Brady pretty much just made no mistakes and did he, what he needed to. Yeah, I agree with uh, pretty much everything that you said there. Uh, moving on from what Brady did to the exact opposite type of quarterback in Justin Fields. <laughs> um, Justin Fields in week five, it was uh, 57.9% perfect pass rate. Uh, one turnover-worthy play and one sack responsible for – or two sacks responsible for uh, – the turnover-worthy play and the sack responsible for – one sack responsible for happened on the same play where a play right before the game-ending fumble by Amir Smith-Marset, uh, Fields uh, lost the ball, uh, didn't, didn't feel the pressure well enough. But I do think this was a positive game for Fields. Um, there was a massive amount of value added with his rushing production – as well as uh, a couple of key throws to point out. He hit uh, Equinemius St. Brown uh, on a solid pass at the beginning of the third quarter, but Brown, St. Brown dropped it. And then the the one-handed catch by Mooney, um, where Mooney kind of went into his defender and then separated back out t- to make the play. Um, I think that was a great throw by Fields, but Mooney kind of tracked it a little weirdly. And so I think overall for Justin Fields this game, it was it was a sign of life. And then I wanted to also add uh, what I saw in week six, which was more signs of life for Justin Fields. By no means was it truly good. Um, there were there was certainly plays left on the table. Um, there were certainly like uh, plays that he could have been better on. But I think that um, the the number of plays that he he delivers down the field is increasing week by week, and so that's starting to offset what's going on with him with the negative plays with the sacks with any fumbles that he has, the interceptions. And so I think this is this is Fields moving in a positive direction by generating consistent positive plays. Uh, moving on to Geno Smith. Man, man, Geno Smith this week was incredible. The, the box score advanced stats won't jump out to you. 52% perfect pass rate, uh, one turnover where they play one sack or two sacks responsible for. But man, the, he really, he was delivering some of the best throws that you'll see this year. So the first one, halfway through the first quarter or so, he drops one on the sideline on the run to DK Metcalf, um, and that scores that uh, the ball placement causes a touchdown. Um, he drops another one to Fant in the second quarter off a boot play, and he drops it right on his right on his line in the bucket on the sideline. Um, and then later in that second quarter, uh, he throws another great pass to DK Metcalf in the end zone. Uh, DK couldn't hold onto the ball though, and that doesn't get counted in the stat sheet. Um, to close out the first half, an incredibly tight window throw to Tyler Lockett right on the money. 
uh, and that that led to another touchdown. And then in the fourth quarter, he makes another incredible throw, uh, probably the throw of the year, to be honest. He he has Lockett in a one v in what looks like a one v one initially at the snap, but it's not a one v one. He's running a post in between two safeties, and he he also has his primary matchup on that play. So Gino has to layer it over Lockett's primary defender and in between two safeties, basically into triple coverage, and he drops it like right on the money, on and that's a, a touchdown. Yeah, like an incredible, incredible throw. So that type of volume of incredible throws, boys, an in, incredibly, incredibly good day for Geno Smith. And we are kind of uh, talking last week, and Polly was surprised that we've come this far with Geno Smith, but I think that it's becoming a three-man race with two quarterbacks that we'll talk about uh in the near future and Geno Smith. So for, for the MVP. While it's wild to think about, but looking at how the Seahawks have played so far, they were expected to be one of like the least impressive offenses in the NFL, even to our previews of the NFL season, we pretty much skipped over Seattle as I believe you mentioned last week as well, but somehow, some way four out of their five weeks have been some of the most interesting matchups in the league three of them putting up crazy amounts of points. Whether they win or lose for NFL fans, this has to be one of the most exciting offenses to watch right now, especially with the quarterback like Geno Smith, who, as ever, as he told everyone in live TV or national TV, uh, we all wrote him off and he didn't write back, whatever <laughs> that means. But, you know, no matter what he says, he has been absolutely incredible this year. Weirdly enough to say, as PD did, he might be in contention for MVP right now. That's how insane he's been. And I think I mentioned this last week as well, but it's still sad to see that he wasted six years of his career being a backup if this is what he was capable of. I know, you know, being just being in the NFL, gaining experience, you know, gives people... He just naturally improves through that, but I do wish we saw Gino start playing earlier because at his age, he's not going to have a whole lot more years of this kind of play. So it's a bit of a shame, but we'll enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, I agree with what you said there. Um, moving on from a former Jets quarterback to current current Jets quarterback, Zach Wilson. Uh, Zach Wilson continuing to so- show more signs of life. Um, 47% perfect pass rate, no turnover-worthy plays. Two sacks responsible for uh, one of them was a bad sack where he kind of scrambled backwards uh, into like a 17 yard loss, I want to say. But uh, he does get back that value with a multitude of downfield plays. He hits a Brees Hall on a wide open wheel route, I believe it was. Uh, He hits him in stride. It wasn't excessively impressive, but I do think that was a great display of ball placement. Uh, He had a really nice pass that was dropped by Elijah Moore on the sideline. Um, where there was a boot, there was some boot action, and Wilson rolled left. Uh, he turns down a flat flat route that was there for the taking, and throws a much more difficult throw. But he does hit it. Uh, Elijah Moore doesn't help out his quarterback, and that could have been a huge play. And then one really great throw where he's working the far the far right side of the field uh, for an outbreaking route to Corey Davis, and he puts it on the money, and uh, Corey Davis turns up field for a big gain. So. I think that Wilson is kind of showing that he can be a successful quarterback. I'm not sure that his his kind of in-between game where the avoiding avoiding errors 
um, on, on stuff like sacks or missed throws. I'm not sure if that's quite there yet, but there are some explosive plays to be had in this Jets offense, and he's taking advantage of some of them. Yeah, definitely a step in the right direction for both Wilson and Fields this week, in my opinion, who have definitely struggled early on in their careers, but hopefully it's looking for an upwards trend now. And speaking of upwards trends, two other quarterbacks who are kind of on the rise right now in probably one of the more exciting matchups of this week. We did preview this matchup last week and talked about how exciting this would be, and this game did not disappoint, and I'm talking about the Cardinals-Eagles game. And I'll get started off with Jalen Hurts, who, if you look at the box score, he put up a great stat line, 26 for 36, with 239 yards, and more importantly, 61 rushing yards and two touchdowns. But looking at the game in real life, it was a little bit up and down, in my opinion. Uh, He started off the game pretty amazing. He made three great throws outside the numbers to A.J. Brown which got them downfield. Surprisingly enough, they didn't throw the ball to A.J. Brown the rest of the game after those three throws on the first drive, but it didn't end up mattering. And then after those three great throws, something weird, you know, uh, they had a fourth and one QB sneak, and then once again, they had another QB sneak for a touchdown, but they just showed, once again, Jalen Hurts' lower body strength. I know, I'm sure you guys have seen all the viral clips of Jalen Hurts squatting like 600 pounds in college. This is where it really comes to show because he's gotten really good at this short yardage game where he kind of just pushes himself forward and just keeps his, you know, just keeps his legs churning. And that offensive line, which is one of the best in the league, just pushes him forward. And then the following drive, once again, was pretty impressive. On a third and 13, he did a great job of getting out of the pocket to the left and still somehow managed to find Devontae Smith on a crossbody throw while he was getting hit. This is probably one of my favorite passes of the day from him. And then he finds Smith again on that same drive, rolling right, and fires it to him for another big game. And this one was even crazier. Last drive, you saw it end with two QB sneaks. This one, they ended it with three straight QB sneaks, which honestly I've never seen before, but it's managed to work with them because they ended up with the touchdown. They just keep and keep trying that QB sneak. It's very interesting to see. And then early in the second quarter, he did get bailed out quite a bit. This was one of those downs that I was talking about earlier where he kind of just threw the ball right to Jalen Thompson. He just didn't quite get the ball high enough to his receiver and get get it to a place where A.J. Brown could have got to the ball and he just didn't put it high enough over the linebacker, and he kind of got lucky that Jalen Thompson just didn't get come down with the ball. And then that drive ended on a bad sack where he did somehow break, like, three tackles from the defensive lineman, but still he did have something underneath early in that which he didn't recognize, and it ended on a sack. The following drive was pretty ugly as well. A lot of bad play calling because on third and two, For whatever reason, the Eagles decided to let J.J. Watt just have a straight shot at Jalen Hurts, which killed the drive. Uh, Looking at the second half, once again, I wasn't sure what the Eagles were doing because Hurts did get them downfield with a couple scrambles and a couple of throws. But in Arizona territory, they ran like five screens in one drive and it kind of killed what they had going on, ended in a field goal. 
Uh, he started the next drive amazingly with a beautiful throw to Goddard over a linebacker in between the two safety zones. It, it appeared to be a cover four, and Hertz just got it to his guy in between those linebacker and deep zones. Uh, it wasn't. This isn't necessarily a critique on him, but later in the drive, he did have a scramble, which didn't really appear to go anywhere. It was about a yard or so. But he doesn't slide, and he takes two hits from linebackers and then a defensive lineman coming from behind, and he kind of has a bit of an awkward landing. I just want want to say that he's got to stop doing making plays like that where he completely puts his body on the line for absolutely no reason. As I said, it was a one-yard gain, and that easily could have ended a lot, a lot worse. At this point, Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback, and he can't afford to take those hits. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks go down this year, and on a stupid play like that, it just can't be happening. But on the following drive, which was their last drive of the game, he had a couple of good throws and an extremely clutch throw on a third and 11 with about four minutes left, where he's facing a blitz coming off the edge with no one blocking him, and he still manages to find Goddard underneath and leads him right and upfield exactly where the defenders weren't and that was enough for Goddard to get some yak and get that first down. He does almost sell the entire game later in the drive, though, about two minutes left. He kind of just throws a ball in traffic off his back foot and almost gets picked. He's quite lucky that the defender dropped it, and I think there's a completely different narrative on this game if that is picked off. But overall, just a very weird game for Hertz, who has definitely increased our expectations of him throughout the season and this game in my opinion didn't quite live up to those expectations however he wasn't bad he had some incredible plays that we've seen from him all years all year but a lot of boneheaded plays that we saw from previous years hurts and not this hurts that seemed to have improved at not making mistakes and just turning it over which was obviously I mean always one of his biggest drawbacks the blitzes the Cardinals sent at him clearly did bother him quite a bit because he seemed very antsy at times in the pocket compared to other games where he seemed very comfortable. I feel like it affected a lot of his timing and accuracy on those close window throws. And I think most importantly, I do have to comment on their strange play calling from the Eagles, which I don't think helped Hurts at all. I saw a lot of... And I mean a lot of screens in this game. I don't know what they were thinking. The Cardinals' defensive line was getting to Hurts quite easily as far as pass rushing goes. But those wide receiver screens that they kept running, they've got to get a lot more creative than that because they were not working and they still kept going to it. I'm not sure what was going on there. Especially when that offensive line was absolutely dominating on the run and just dominating the interior of that Cardinals defense. And they still chose to run the ball only 18 times if you exclude the Jalen Hurts rushes. So overall, the Eagles are a very impressive team, so they did manage to pull out this game. But I don't think their offensive side deserved to win that game. I think Hurts also has some things to work on, but overall, decent game from him. And if we look at the other side of the ball, in the same exciting game, we're going to Kyler Murray. And I'd say his stats also resemble an average Kyler Murray game from what you'd expect. A pretty good performance, 28 for 42, 
250 yards, one touchdown, and a pick. But I'd say his game, when actually looking at it, was also very similar to Hertz, where he was a bit worse than the box score lends itself to show. I think he had he started off the game pretty poor with a bad drive where there was a couple of bad uh, bad runs and a bad throw on third down and the drive. And the second drive was even worse because he tries to throw it deep to Hollywood on a deep post route, and it was in clear double coverage. I'm not sure what he was thinking. And he underthrew the ball as well. It was a very easy interception for Gardner-Johnson, and Hollywood didn't really have a chance to come back to the ball either. Um, and overall, just a rough first quarter. He did start to improve a little bit in the following quarter. He had a good drive in the middle of the second quarter where he brought the Cardinals upfield, and he finished the drive off with a well-placed throw to Hollywood between two linebackers, and Hollywood just made an insane move to kind of shake off the two defenders and get downfield and score a touchdown. Before the end of the half, he did have Hurts open over the middle of the field on a third down and just kind of sails the ball, and he was bailed out by successful fake punt, and he still ends up leading a good drive after even though he did sail the ball on third down due to that fake punt. And with 16 seconds left, he makes a amazing throw to Ido Benjamin on a little angle route, and that takes them down to the two-yard line, and it ended up leading to a field goal. Uh, in the second half, that's where we saw Kyler Murray turn up a little bit more. He's We saw probably his best play of the day in the middle of the third quarter where he seems to wiggle out of a sack where he's literally in the defensive lineman's arms and then runs out of the pocket and finds A.J. Green for a toe-tap catch and a first down a while under pressure. Very impressive play. But it does end pretty soon. The drive ends pretty soon with Murray under intense pressure and just doesn't find his open hot route. Maybe he was trying to do a bit too much after that last highlight play we've seen, but... Murray just doesn't get the ball job done there. And the first fourth quarter, that's when the Cardinals almost come back and win this game. Early in the fourth, he find, finds Rondale Moore in a soft spot of the zone, probably in the, in, in the middle of the field, and just makes another good run to set up for Ido Benjamin, Ido Benjamin touchdown. And he had one last drive down three to win the game. Uh, he led his team upfield, but on some a weird situation happens where on a second and 10 he runs downfield or he runs gets about nine yards and slides I feel like he could have gotten the full 10 yards and in a situation like that that's where you do go for that extra yard but he does elect to slide and for whatever reason I don't know whether it was poor coaching or just lack of awareness from Kyler but they decide to spike the ball on a third and one which obviously causes a fourth and one and forces the Cardinals to kick. Uh, I'd have liked Kyler to either pick up the first down when I think he could have if he just took a hit or maybe just call something better on that third and one. Overall, I don't know what was going on, whether it was coaching or Kyler, but that's a problem they can't have because it did cost them the game. But overall, I think Kyler's been a bit too inconsistent. Hertz did have a similar game to Kyler here, where it was a lot of ups and a lot of downs as well. But I feel like with Kyler, we've seen it more and more often. And I'm a little more harsh on him because 
We haven't seen him be consistent. He truly feels like a one-half quarterback. And when he does turn off for that turn up for that one half, he's incredible. But there's always one quarter or even a half where he'll throw for like 50 yards on the entire game and just have drive after drive killed. And yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can kind of add a little bit to that Kyler Murray thing that you were talking about with the inconsistency. Well, actually, first thing, uh, I, I still I think that uh, the stuff that happened at the end of the game was a little overblown. I still expect a kicker in the NFL to make a 42-yard field goal. It's oh, not, for sure. Yeah. Anyway, the stuff that you were talking about with Kyler with the inconsistency, I think some of that stems with from uh, what the Cardinals have at receiver right now, of course. That's not... It's definitely not a positive, and it's it's definitely hurting their offense. Oh, for but sure. I think that Kyler could do more in terms of throwing to open guys, throwing over the middle of the field still. And and some of that is, uh, of course, his height can limit his vision at times. But I think that he can do a better job of looking in between offensive linemen and trying to uh, locate throwing windows a little better. So that's just kind of the next step. He's gotten better at it again this year after I said that he got better uh, at it from 2020 to 2021. But I think mm-hmm. that either Hopkins coming back or his individual improvement will kind of take this offense to another level. Yeah, another point I'd like to touch on about the Cardinals in general is I feel like they're play calling a bit too conservatively for the way that team is built and especially for the way that Kyler plays. I feel like Kyler fits best with a run-and-gun offense, which is the Cardinals' motto. That is what they're trying to go for. But these last few games, I've seen a very different Cardinals offense where it's a lot of a lot of just runs up the middle, a lot of checkdowns not really Kyler just slinging it around and playing when he's at his best. So I know they are a bit shorthanded right now, but I would like to see the Cardinals play a little bit more like that. Because even in this game, when they play called like that, where they were having a lot of trick plays, getting the ball to guys like Rondell Moore in space or James Conner in space, where they were like incredibly successful over the last few years, they were good again. But they still they have whole quarters – this season where their offense just stales out because for whatever reason they want to play differently than the way their team is built yeah um i think that one thing that's troubling them really quickly before you move on because i know we're kind of getting short on time uh he the deep ball passing is not the same as it was last year last year he looked like arguably the best deep ball passer in the nfl and i think that a big part of that is the fact that aj green cannot get a step on these alert alert goes that kyler calls and aj green there's no there's no other way to put it he's just very bad right now he's 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 playing quite poorly and so uh, totally removing a weapon from that cardinals offense is hurting them and then i don't think marquise brown is consistent or good enough to kind of carry that offense on his back so yeah, it's just it's not the greatest situation right now for generating explosive plays. Yeah, certainly not. And moving on from one exciting matchup to another, we have the Sunday night game in uh, Ravens and Bengals, which honestly was probably one of the most anticipated matchups of the season so far. A very big matchup in the AFC lang- landscape and as well as the AFC North division title. And if you just look at the box score, this seems like a very tame day for Lamar. Uh, Only 19 for 32 with 174 yards, a touchdown and a pick, 58 yards rushing. But 
looking into this game, I feel like he played a bit better than people may give him credit for. And I think there were reasons for why he seemed to have a not-so-great day in the box score. The first drive coming out of the gates, the Ravens got downfield due to some incredible plays by Devin Duvernay, one being a snap, which for whatever reason got on the ground, and he somehow managed to pick it up, get around the corner, and have a great gain. And then on the Bengals' 30, the Ravens had a third and 10, where I think Lamar waited a bit too long to make a decision, and the pressure got in his face, and he dumped it to likely, but it was a bit too late because the defender was already there. Um, I think I touched on Lamar the past few weeks where he was very good with pressure, and this was another case where he just kind of reverted back to the old Lamar where he just didn't make the right decision under pressure, and he could have done a lot more that with that play. Ultimately, that drive led to a field goal. The following drive, the Ravens killed the drive because they tried to go way downfield on a third and 15, and absolutely no one got open, and Lamar tried to take off but couldn't do much with it. He does find Duvernay later in the game deep, and he makes an incredibly accurate throw to him while he's in stride just before the DB gets there. It was amazing ball placement, and it was a very tight window that Lamar fit that into, and then he ended that drive by finding a wide-open Andrews over the middle of the field for a touchdown. It was a great play call, and a great job of getting Andrews open and a great job by Lamar in particular because that definitely was not his first read, but he kind of just stood in the pocket, uh, made a decision, and found the open guy. And that's something we need to see a lot more out of Lamar that we've been seeing a lot of this season. And it's just another example of how he's improved in that aspect of his game. Uh, And then at the start of the second quarter, he ends – he ends it with probably one of the worst plays of his day where he does a great job of evading pressure, but he absolutely sails the throw deep to Duvernay and it led to an interception. The pressure seemed to affect his throw a little bit. His mechanics were weird on that play because he kind of like leaned forward while making the throw and didn't exactly get his full force into it. So the velocity was a bit down and the ball just sailed over his receiver, went straight to the defensive back. But it's mistakes like that he simply cannot make. However, uh, drive at the end of the half, his offensive line gives him absolutely no time and he manages to find his hot route. But uh, I believe it was Tylen Wallace just didn't get enough separation to get the first down. Uh, And in the second half is where Lamar did improve a little bit. And he did ultimately win this game for them. Uh, on the first drive, there was a third and 11. And he just didn't get enough to get to the first down marker. And he dumped it out to Andrews, but not enough yards. But on fourth and two, he has a wide open Tylen Wallace with probably like seven yards of separation. And he just completely overthrows it. Probably missed the easiest touchdown of his life. And that would have absolutely blown the game open because I believe it was 10-10 at the time. Would have been a touchdown to probably solidify them for at least a little bit. And those are plays that, as an elite quarterback in this league, he absolutely cannot miss. And I was pretty disappointed by that. Uh, The following drive, once again, the Ravens get good field position off a Joe Burrow interception. And for whatever reason, on a third and five, Lamar just 
checks it down immediately. And it lent, it ends up with a great Justin Tucker 58-yard field goal. But once again, Lamar just letting the pressure get into his head and just dumps the ball off immediately for no reason. Uh, towards the end of the third, he does have do a great job of finding Andrews on a third and six from his own end zone. Uh, that was very clutch because that could have ended a lot worse. He followed that up with another beautiful touch pass to Andrews downfield, and he put it right over the linebacker's arms. And then he finds Andrews once again, another clutch third and seven, where he didn't have much going, but he just goes through his progressions, finds Andrews once again, who seemed to have a great second half here. The very next play after that was one of my favorite plays of the night once again, where the Bengals put Wilson on a spy on Lamar, and uh, Lamar goes out, out of the pocket. Wilson gets to him as and essentially has him tackled, but Lamar kind of just hops and flings the ball downfield 10 yards to Duvernay for a first down was incredibly impressive. Uh, and probably the most important part of this game, at least for me, is with under two minutes, Lamar was down one and has a chance to win the game, and he absolutely delivers. With about a minute left, he had an extremely clutch 35-yard carry right down the teeth of the Bengals' defense, and that put them in field goal range, which ultimately ended the game for them with the game-winning field goal. And overall, it was an ugly win, and he did do what he needed to do in the fourth quarter when it mattered most. However, that doesn't mask all the mistakes he made throughout this game with the pick and then later the drop pick, the absolutely missed wide-open touchdown. This was a very up-and-down game for Lamar, although it wasn't quite as bad as what the box score says it was. It still wasn't the MVP Lamar performance I would have expected. Yeah, I agreed with what you said there about Lamar being not not the greatest this game. Uh, I think that now at this point he's kind of dropped a little bit out of the MVP conversation because other guys have been playing so well. Uh, but he's still like right there and can put himself right back in with some good. Yeah, and one thing that for me screamed like off the tape while watching this game for sure was the fact that Lamar has absolutely no help. Kind of like what you mentioned with Kyler earlier, where there are plenty of players where I was just looking at Lamar's options and none of his receivers had any space. And even talking about some of the guys he was working with guys like Tylen Wallace, you know, Duvernay has been great this year, but he's absolutely not someone who can carry an offense. And the rest of his receivers are absolutely nobodies. It's just, honestly, Andrew's carrying that load and Dobbins a little bit as of late. But for sure, the Ravens do need to find a way to get him a receiver who can actually separate and can do can do something with the ball once they do have it in space. Yeah, Andrew's is like Andrews is a true number one alpha receiver. Um, but for sure, they have. They have no number two, and their number threes are even questionable too. So, yeah, something they should try to address, yeah. I would hope. Um, but I do know that Lamar likes his tight ends quite a lot. He likes his fullbacks a lot because of throwing into the middle of field with frequency. So mm-hmm. you do need to find the right type of receiver with him. Yeah, they need a, they need a route runner for sure because right now they have guys they can get the ball. Maybe they can make something happen in space or a deep ball guy like Tylen Wallace, but they do need – another good route runner aside 
Rashad Bateman to help Lamar out. But that concludes our reviews of the previous week. And we'll hop right into the previews of next week, week six. And we're I'm going to start off with my favorite team as a Niners fan and one of the first games of the day. And it's the Niners versus the Falcons. And hopefully for my sake, this goes as expected, which is a dominating win from the Niners. After a very embarrassing performance against the Broncos, Jimmy G has come back with two back-to-back impressive performances for sure, especially the last one, because the previous game against the Rams, I could have still made some arguments that he put the ball in harm's way and made a couple of mistakes that he shouldn't have made. But against the Panthers, he was that was the best we're going to get out of Jimmy G for sure. He made probably no mistakes that were turnover worthy necessarily. Only a couple of largely inaccurate throws, which you're going to get out of a quarterback like Jimmy G. But overall, he did his job in putting his receivers in position to succeed when he needed to but that game was definitely carried a lot by how impressive the run game was but Jimmy G still did his job and looking forward to the Falcons as I talked about with Tom Brady that defense is not good whatsoever and one thing Jimmy G is very good good at is he's incredible when there's no pressure in his face he doesn't has to be a guy that's even has to have any notice of what's going on in the pocket because his pocket presence is absolutely abysmal. And when he does have pressure in his face, his mechanics go all over the place. So with a very weak uh, Atlanta front seven and uh, the defensive backfield, who I don't necessarily think can hang with guys like Debo, Ayuk, Kittle, etc. And I don't think the Falcons front seven are stopping the run either. I expect another good game out of Jimmy G for sure here. Another game where he just attacks the middle of the field with ease, has plenty of open guys, and just gets the ball to our guys in space and lets lets them cook. Yeah, agreed with what you said about Jimmy G and uh, playing in open space. Um, moving on to another guy who was playing with a lot of open space last week, and that's Kirk Cousins. <laughs> Started off the game 17 for 17 against the Bears, and he was absolutely lighting it up. A great throw to Justin Jefferson and a bunch of stuff underneath. Um, barely missed any passes. Uh, at one point, uh, I think the interception that he threw was the first pass uh, for this. Uh, he had a 100% adjusted completion rate where I factor out drops, throwaways, uh, and plays where you were hit while throwing and spikes and stuff like that. Um, 100% uh, he was throwing at one point, and his accuracy rate was north of 75%. So an incredible day to start for Kirk Cousins. A little slow uh, in the third quarter there, but then came back with a vengeance in the fourth quarter to win the game. And this week he's going up against the Dolphins defense that has been kind of slow to start. But they do have, of course, their creative blitzes, and Kirk Cousins isn't the greatest dealing with blitzes so far this year. And has he has shown improvement since uh, his Washington days. But uh, I, I do want to see this matchup in the sense of can he kind of get the ball out quickly to his right guy and not be phased by the pressure because that's really all that's holding him back from uh, taking taking this offense to the next level. Yeah. Also, this is a pretty poor Dolphins team 
that we saw last week get absolutely blown out by the Jets. I think not having Tua really puts a lot of strain on that defense, who was good before that week. But it's tough when you have a guy like Teddy Bridgewater out there. So I do think Cousins takes full advantage of that. And moving on to the only rookie quarterback we're going to be covering because, well, he's the only one of noteworthiness to even cover, uh, Kenny Pickett, who, as I predicted last week in my preview of him versus Buffalo, did not have the most pretty game. I do believe he played better than the three points that the Steelers scored suggested because I think their red zone play calling and overall just in favor in on the, in the Bills side of the field play calling was pretty poor but overall Kenny Pickett very similar to his first week where it was a lot of up and down we did see a lot of plays which seemed to give Pittsburgh fans and just any Kenny Pickett fan hope but also a lot of just absolutely boneheaded rookie plays and I did mention this last week with the Bills again but Kenny Pickett really got the short end of the stick coming out playing two of the most tough defenses and tough front sevens in football right now. And uh, unfortunately, I expect a lot of the same this week against the Bucks, where I think they're going to send him a lot of pressure. They're going to get in his face, and that's going to mess with him, cause him to make mistakes, and it's going to be another tough day. But I do hope he's able to use these tough matchups and learn for the future how to deal with it because – you know, this is an excuse you can use for right now, him being a rookie and all. But eventually, he's going to be need to learn how to deal with these kind of teams. And we'll see how he does it this week. Yeah, agreed with the things that you've said there again. Uh, moving on from Kenny Pickett to another AFC North quarterback, Joe Burrow. Uh, Joe Burrow coming off an average game uh, where he was kind of throwing short of the sticks quite a lot because... Again, another team playing a ton of zone. And the, the Ravens kind of knew what was coming again because the variation in the route tree for Jamar Chase, for T. Higgins, for Tyler Boyd even is not very good. And so they had a great game plan dialed up and kind of limited Joe Burrow, who also threw a bad interception, which was definitely his fault. Um, this matchup this week against the Saints, the Saints also run man at a higher frequency than the rest of the league. Uh, but I, if... If these matchups uh, initially are any indication, uh, like the Ravens, uh, teams will totally adjust their scheme to play against the Bengals because they do not want to single up Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, uh, anyone on the Bengals offense, really, because they're loaded with playmakers. And so I, I'm honestly not expecting explosive plays yet uh, for the Bengals offense until they can kind of uh, make Jamar Chase run more than four routes, I guess. Uh, I think that we might be looking at a Bengals offense that kind of is slow, kind of grinded out, and trying to move the ball with underneath passes. And even even in the underneath passing game, they don't really have too much creativity. It's just slants, stops, and quick outs. And and I, I really I really do think they need a huge amount of variety, uh, a huge amount more variety in their route trees to be able to counter what defenses are putting at them, which is a ton of two high shells, a ton of uh, zone defenders. And it's it's not like the quarterback play is, is poor from Joe, Joe Burrow. He's taking what, what the defense is giving him. But the problem is that his 
the scheme is not giving him many options because teams know what's coming and they can kind of sit on the, these different kinds of routes. They can bracket Jamar Chase, shade safety help towards him uh, just to kind of limit the, his, the effect that his deep speed can have. And so, yeah, it's just not a very good time watching this Bengals offense right now. Hopefully they can figure it out. Yeah, another note on the Bengals offense, T. Higgins set to be out this week, as of right now at least. And that once again limits their big playability as well, because T. Higgins is definitely one of the best receivers in the league in that type of play. And another note on them, I it may be early to say, but I feel like that last year's Super Bowl run definitely extended Zach Taylor's time period of being the head coach there. Because as PD mentioned with the creativity of their offense, I feel like I see Zach Taylor out there calling Sometimes a Madden-like offense where all he's running is something like halfback dive, four verticals, slants, fucking halfback stretch. It's all very, very basic and very similar, very predictable. And when you've got an offense that features one of the best young receivers in the league in Jamar Chase and an incredibly impressive running back like Joe Mixon and arguably a top five quarterback already in in his second season last year in Joe Burrow, and he's taking that and doing absolutely nothing with it. So I'm very disappointed with what he's done so far this year. I'm not sure what he's thinking. But moving on from Zach Taylor and Burrow to one of the premier quarterbacks in this league in Patrick Mahomes, who's coming off a very interesting performance where early on in the game, the Chiefs went down Mahomes and that offense was just not clicking for whatever reason. And then we saw that Chris Jones call, very controversial call, which I think in my opinion and most people's opinion in general was absolutely not a roughing the passer. And the Raiders just simply got bailed out. And I feel like whether it was related to that or not, that absolutely lit a fire under the Chiefs offense. Because from that point onwards, they absolutely took over. Mahomes and Kelsey were an absolutely lethal duo. He was able to find him for four touchdowns, which is absolutely insane. And it's just very impressive to see what Mahomes is doing this year with not the best supporting cast for sure with an aging Kelsey and no true receiver one and arguably no true receiver two either and no real help from the running backs as well. CEH has been good, but I feel like it's a product of the offense he's in. So big props to Patrick Mahomes for what he's done so far. And looking into this matchup, it's definitely one of the most exciting matchups in the league so far this year because the Bills and Chiefs have both been absolutely on a tear. And it's a rematch of last year's AFC playoff matchup in the divisional round, which was an absolute classic and an overtime win. So I'm incredibly excited to see this game. And one thing to look to for Mahomes is Mahomes throughout his career, I feel like has struggled the most against teams with who are able to get to the passer without blitzing as a lot of, this is the case with a lot of quarterbacks, but Mahomes, especially when you have a team with a great defensive line that can get to him and still have people back to cover so that you don't give up those big plays that absolutely kill you that's when defenses are at their best against Mahomes. And the Bills fit that description perfectly. They've been absolutely amazing at uh, rushing the passer this year without blitzing. So that's definitely something to look into. 
I think Mahomes is going to have to deal with a lot of pressure all day, and he's going to have to figure way out, figure out ways to play make and get the ball to his receivers. But if there's anyone who can do it, it's Mahomes. Yeah, I agree with uh, what you said there uh, about Mahomes with the pass rush and, and the coverage. I think that that's kind of a weakness of every quarterback, like you kind of pointed out, where if you can if you can get pressure without blitzing and play a ton of coverage, you're kind of not giving the quarterback any options. And so, like, yep. I, I think uh, the better strategy is to try to just drop as many into coverage as possible and try to uh, target his actual biggest weakness still, which is his patience as compared to his explosive downfield uh, playmaking. Um, mm-hmm. Moving on to another quarterback that has a similar weakness on the other side of the ball with uh, Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen coming off a monster game versus the Steelers. Uh, a ton of throws uh, down the field for Josh Allen. Uh, he was making plays all over the place. He did throw one interception. That was his fault. He kind of expected uh, Gabe Davis to uh, go back shoulder, but I don't think the back shoulder was available at all there. Um other than that, Josh Allen was making play after play down the field and uh, powered the Bills to a massive win. Uh, this game against the Chiefs, I think he is, again, in a good situation because I don't think anyone on the Chiefs can hang with Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis and Josh Allen himself on the ground. Uh, I think that this should be a very high-scoring game where Allen takes advantage of the fact that his playmakers are so good. And I think, yeah, I'm just excited for this game, and I, I don't have much to add. I think this should be a really high-scoring game. Oh, yeah, for sure. This easily my favorite matchup of the week. Hopefully, if it lives up to expectations, potentially the best game of the season so far, but we'll see what happens. But moving on from two of the most premier quarterbacks in the league to one who's been probably the biggest disappointment or bust or whatever you want to call it of the year, and that's Russell Wilson. And... We talked about him a bit last week where he had an absolute dud versus the Colts where he looked borderline blind the way he was playing. And that Broncos offense has absolutely looked poor. But what I expect out of Russell Wilson here is a big bounce back game because at least in my experience with Russell Wilson, he typically does not perform that poorly and follow that up with another bad performance. So I think this game is definitely going to be a true testament of where he's at because if he continues to play the way he's been playing, Russell Wilson might just be washed at this point. But I don't know. I'm holding on to a little bit of hope that he quite isn't so far. And this definitely isn't the best matchup to get himself going with because I feel like one of the reasons Wilson has struggled so much is he used to deal with – uh, his inability to maybe see over linemen in the pocket or just when faced with tough pass rushing teams, uh, he would counteract that by just getting out of the pocket and making plays outside the offense. And as PD mentioned last week, with his lack of, <clears throat> I guess, trust and chemistry with his receivers and maybe just running a different offense here, he simply hasn't done that or hasn't been able to do that. I think when facing a team like, with, like the Chargers with two premier pass rushers in Khalil Mack and Joey Bosa, who have been two of the best pass rushers in the league so far, Russ is obviously going to face a lot of pressure. And if he's not able to get out of the pocket and make something out of that, I don't expect big things out of him for sure. So 
Hopefully he bounces back, but personally I don't see it versus this Chargers defense. Yeah, I'm not expecting big things from Russell Wilson this week. I think that this is a bad, <laughs> bad matchup. This is exactly the type of defense uh, from Brandon Staley that he struggled against when he was in Seattle. The Rams always gave him trouble with their two high shells. Yeah, they had his number. In fact, these were the this was uh, kind of the antidote to uh, the year where it was let Russ cook in 2020 and. Uh, the kind of stuff that slowed him down and is still affecting like every elite quarterback in the league at this point. Uh, I think that yeah. also you mentioned the pass rush. He's probably going to take some bad sacks this week. Uh, sure. the, the only thing that could really save him is some some uh, positive regression on on the deep ball, and I think that that's always possible for him, but it's, it's becoming more and more unlikely that Russell Wilson will yeah. turn it around from a consistency standpoint. Uh, moving on also from – uh, Oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh. One more note. Also, with Javante seeming to be out for the year, I don't think this Broncos offense can rely on the run game either because Melvin has been incredibly, uh, how do I say, just incredibly not good with the ball and securing the ball, fumbling as many times as he has, and Mike Boone simply is not a RB1. So this offense is falling into Russ's hands, and that's going to be tough for Broncos fans to watch. Yeah, moving on from a, a very grim offense to a little bit more of an upbeat offense with the Chargers. So Justin Herbert, last week against the Browns, a, a solid game. He had a couple of downfield shots, a lot of stuff in the intermediate areas like we're accustomed to seeing from this offense. Uh, but I think that uh, for the first time, we kind of saw some issues with him against tight windows and coverage uh, against the Browns where uh, normally, I would just expect Justin Herbert to complete the pass against a very tight window, no matter what. Uh, but this week, it was just a little, little off for his accuracy. Uh, he does have elite accuracy in general, but I think this week should be a bounce-back performance for him. Specifically in this matchup against the Broncos, uh, I think that he does have an advantage with Mike Williams. I don't think uh, anyone uh, on the Broncos can match his size, but I do think that Sertan could make things a little difficult if he does follow uh, or shadow Williams. Um, I think that the Broncos scheme doesn't really trouble Herbert because of the way that the Chargers run offense, which is just a ton of stuff in the short areas, intermediate areas, a bunch of stops, outs, and other other shorter routes, I guess. Um, I think that the Broncos don't really have the personnel at, at linebacker to kind of deal with those kinds of routes consistently. And so this should be a good game for the Chargers. I'm not expecting anything short of a, a strong performance from Herbert. Yeah, and I think with the strong QB performances so far, but with some of them taggling off a bit, the MVP race is still wide open. And as I predicted to start the year with Justin Herbert, this is where it starts. The injury derailed him a bit, but... MVP Herbert is starting now, and we're going to witness it this week for sure with a commanding win over the Broncos, in my opinion. And yeah, Herbert just getting back to absolutely being one of the best quarterbacks in the league. All right, that'll do it for this episode. Any last thoughts that you have, Pony? No, just excited for another week of football. We're finally seeing our first four buys, uh, so that'll be interesting to look at for whatever reason also one last note this is a thursday night and we just watched one of the most exciting uh thursday night football games of all time in the commanders and broncos or not the broncos sorry commanders and bears might as well have been the broncos with how bad that offense was tonight 
But yeah, hopefully the games this Sunday are better than that. All right. That'll do it for us this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Subscribe, like, do whatever on whatever platform that you're on. Uh, we'll see you all next week.